What is your prayer life really like? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author and pastor teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Ephesians chapter 6, Pastor Charles not only shows us the full armor of God, but how you can have divine energy for warfare prayer. Now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Strong Christians are dressed for battle. You must put on the whole armor of God. This armor mentioned in verse 11 and verse 13 is listed for us in verses 14 through 17. We're to put on or take up the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. To be a strong Christian, you need divine equipment. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is one of the characteristic long passages in this letter. In verse 17, Paul has not finished his thought when he finishes listing the whole armor. He concludes the text in verses 18 through 20 by calling us to practice warfare prayer, which teaches us that to be a strong Christian, you need not only divine equipment you need divine energy you cannot be strong in your own strength you can only be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and that strength is accessed through prayer in fact the bottom line of Ephesians 6 verses 18 through 20 is simply this Strong Christians fight on their knees. Paul wrote this letter while under house arrest in Rome where he is chained to a Roman soldier. It is most likely this Roman soldier that the Holy Spirit uses to prompt Paul to draw this picture of the Christian warrior. He sees the soldier to which he is chained has on a belt, and he says the Christian has a belt. It is truth. The Roman soldier has a breastplate. The Christian soldier has a breastplate. It is righteousness. The Roman soldier has a shield. The Christian soldier, Paul says, has a shield. It is faith, and on and on and goes. But in verse 18, Paul continues to discuss the warfare even though he drops the metaphor. He does so, I believe, because prayer is the believer's secret weapon. There was nothing the Roman soldier had that can correspond to what the Christian has in prayer. Uh, in the heat of a battle, the Roman soldier could not call on Lord Caesar for help in the midst of the fight. But the Christian soldier in the midst of the battle can call on the Lord Jesus Christ to help you stand your ground in the heat of the battle. The the. The privilege of prayer is the believer's secret weapon. The Christian becomes a strong Christian by fighting on his knees. If you are to stand in power, you got to first learn how to kneel in prayer. 
to, to be a strong Christian happens after prayer. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer keeps the Christian's armor bright and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Strong Christians fight on their knees. When I was coming up in the church I grew up in, there was a Wednesday night prayer band and later there was a 6 a.m. weekday morning prayer band, small group who would gather to cover the pastor, cover the church, and cover other spiritual matters in prayer. And that small group became known around the church as the prayer warriors. The prayer warriors of the church. But as you study Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20, Paul makes it clear that prayer warriors are not elite members of the Christian army. Every Christian is to be a prayer warrior. We're all called to be strong Christians and strong Christians must learn how to fight on their knees. Every Christian is to be a prayer warrior. And in these verses, I want to lift three characteristics of the prayer warrior. First, Paul teaches that prayer warriors cover everything in prayer. Prayer warriors cover everything in prayer. In verses 14 through 17, Paul lists the whole armor of God. In verse 18, he drops the metaphor but continues the theme by saying that you put on this whole armor, says verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, you're to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The connection between our text and the previous verses is that you must make sure that prayer is working in conjunction with the whole armor of God. It is by prayer that you wear the armor. In fact, I suggest that every morning you start your day by prayerfully putting on each piece of the armor one by one. But not only do you need prayer to wear the armor, you also need prayer to work the armor. On the evil day when Satan and his forces strike back against your faith in Christ, your love for Christ, and your devotion to Christ, it is prayer that enables you to effectively use the armor of God to stand your ground. This is why in mentioning prayer, he is saying that, that prayer cannot be some limited matter in the believer's life. Prayer cannot be some occasional matter in the Christian's life. Prayer cannot be some half-hearted matter in the believer's life, but the true prayer warrior is to cover everything in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. The rest of that verse says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. That needless pain is a part of my personal theology. I, I live by that principle of needless pains. I'm grown up enough to accept that some pain in life is necessary and inevitable, but if I ain't got to go through the pain, I don't want to go through it. But oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry, not some things, not certain things, not special things, not specific things, not even spiritual things, but everything. To God in prayer. Warfare prayer is comprehensive prayer. 
You're to cover everything in your life in prayer. Look at verse 18, where four times in the verse, Paul uses the universal, inclusive, comprehensive term, all. We're to pray, says verse 18, at all times, with all prayer and supplication. He says we are to pray with all perseverance, and we're to pray for all the saints. Could that be why we lose some battles? We pray sometimes with a little bit of prayer and supplication, with wavering perseverance for some of the saints that don't get on our nerves. Paul says warfare prayer covers everything in believing prayer. Notice he says in verse 18, we're to be praying at all times. There's an old war statement that says there are no atheists in a foxhole. You ever heard that statement? There are no atheists in a foxhole. A person may claim that they are not religious, but when the bullets start flying, everybody start praying. (laughs) There are no atheists in a foxhole. Even an unbeliever may try to cry out to God when trouble comes. And fickle, weak, and mature Christians may only pray in extreme situations. But Paul is saying that a a prayer warrior prays at all times. A prayer warrior prays continuously. A prayer warrior prays as a lifestyle. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says. We're to pray without ceasing. You're to pray not just in extreme circumstances. You ought to pray at all times. Pray in the morning when you get up, but don't forget to pray at night when you lay down. Pray when the sun is shining, but pray when the Storm is raging. Pray when your bank account looks good. Pray when you don't have a dime in your name. Pray when your family is at peace. Pray when your family is in turmoil. Pray when you feel like it. And pray when you don't feel like it. In fact, Stephen Oford used to say, Pray when you feel like it, pray when you don't feel like it, and pray until you feel like it. We're to pray at all times. We're also, he says, to pray at all times in the spirit. If you're going to pray continuously, this cannot be a fleshly matter. You've got to pray in the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The pattern of biblical prayer is that you pray to God the Father in the name of God the Son with the help of God the Holy Spirit. Here when he says pray in the Spirit, he is not suggesting that you need to learn how to pray in some unknown language to God that you don't talk to anybody else in order to get God's attention. No, you can go to God just as you are. And Hebrews 4, 16 says you can come boldly with freedom of speech. You don't have to dress up your prayer to talk to God. You can tell him like it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But to pray in the spirit means that you pray with dependence upon the Holy Spirit. That you pray with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That you pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that words cannot express. This is where I wish I had a witness. I didn't have one the last time, but this is where I wish I had a witness where sometimes God will just put somebody on your heart to pray for. You don't know why they're on your mind. You don't know why they're on your heart, but the Spirit is just burdening you to pray for that person. And you call them up and you ask how they doing and everything is going fine, but the Lord won't let you up. It's because the Spirit sees what we can't see. He has a way of leading us to know not just how to pray, but what to pray for. And so the text says you're to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication are connected but not synonymous. Prayer includes supplication. But prayer is more than supplication. The term prayer is the most generic, broad term for prayer in the New Testament. It is just the act of addressing God, the act of talking to God, the act of communing with God. The word supplication narrows it to petition. A supplication is petition, a request. And entreaty, it is bringing your need to God in prayer. But listen to Paul saying that you ought to be praying at all times in the spirit. And the evidence that you'll be praying in the spirit is that when you pray, you'll be praying all kinds of prayer and supplication. That is to say that your prayer should not just be supplication. How do you feel about people that you only hear from when they need something? God ought to hear from you um, more than just the times when you need him to do something, fix something, change something. As a young Christian, I was taught to pray through the acts of prayer, A C. T-S, the acts of prayer. That prayer ought to begin with adoration. That's what the A stands for. Before I ask God for anything, I ought to just worship God for who he is. And then prayer ought to move from adoration to confession. Before I ask for something, I ought to make sure my heart is right with God and confess my sin to make sure nothing is standing in the way of my communication and communion with God. And then T stands for thanksgiving. Before you get to supplication, you ought to thank God for what he has already done. I dare you to try it this week. That's homework. Pastor got homework for you. You ought to call on God in prayer this week and call him up and tell him, Lord, this time I don't want anything. I just want to say thank you. Y'all ain't in here with me. Thank you for what you've already done. You say, well, HB, I'm fighting too big of a battle to just call and say thank you. Uh-uh. Thanksgiving is warfare prayer. The enemy's hold on you is loosened when you learn how to be grateful to God. Because I've discovered you can't be grateful and anxious at the same time. You can't be grateful and mad at the same time. You can't be grateful and complaining at the same time. Sometime when the battle is raging and you don't know what the future holds, you ought to just look back at where the Lord has brought you from and give him thanks for what he's already done. And without even asking for anything, you just remind yourself, this ain't the first time you've been in a fight. This ain't the first time you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills. This ain't the first time your faith was tested. But the same God that brought you through the last time, he ain't dead, he ain't sick, and he ain't hurt. He's still able. Yes, he is. 
prayer and supplication. Your prayer ought to be bigger than supplication. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't include supplication. You need to learn how to bring your needs to God in prayer. Let me tell you the key to prayer. I'm going to give you the open secret to an effective prayer life. You can listen to a hundred sermons on prayer. You can read a hundred books on prayer. You can go to a hundred seminars on prayer. Your prayer life will never grow until you get to this simple place of dependence upon God. When you sense your dependence upon God, you ain't going to need nobody to make you pray. When you sense you need God, nobody needs to remind you to check in with him in the morning. Nobody needs to remind you to call on him. Prayer is a statement of dependence upon God. Watch me. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. The things you pray about are the things you are truly trusting God for. The things you fail to pray about is a statement of the things you think you can handle by yourself. Are y'all in here with me? And that's why warfare prayer covers everything. I, I can't afford to let no area of my life go uncovered. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace for. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Warfare prayer covers everything in prayer. But watch Paul broaden this truth out as the passage progresses I think the text secondly teaches us that prayer warriors not only cover everything in prayer but secondly prayer warriors intercede for others a turning point in my spiritual journey was that a young as a young man young pastor 20 years old I was heading into a meeting and I just was so anxious that I, I, just, I planned to sleep the whole day and just show up for the meeting, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> Lord have mercy. And, and uh, I couldn't sleep. Just as the morning went, I grew more anxious. To the point where that day I had, and I don't know technicalities, but the closest I would ever say I was to just a full-fledged panic attack. I was just frightened about what that meeting was going to bring that night. I was dealing with hardcore church-fighting folk. And I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of that meeting. And something said, you, you, need, you need prayer. And I got the phone, and I just called back. I star 69, the last person that called me. Those of y'all giggling, showing how old you are. That's all you doing. <laughs> um, and it was a young adult from the church. I, I didn't know what that person wanted when they called me, but I, 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 I just called and and, and never learned what they wanted. I called and, and asked for prayer. And I was moved that this person who I had never prayed with before was covering me in prayer. But as that person prayed, the voice was saying, uh-uh, that's not what I'm talking about. You need to pray. And that day, God cornered me, if you will, and forced me to wrestle with my soul's issues before him in prayer. In fact, I, I, I had to keep praying until I, my heart that day got to a place where I was able to say to the Lord, I'll praise you no matter what happens tonight. 
I'm, I'm going slow here because I'm trying not to tell the whole story. But I just want to throw this in. When I just got my own personal breakthrough, I showed up to the meeting late and left the meeting early and God took care of it while I was in the bed. Already asleep. Yes, he did. <laughs> but I learned that day that you can't be a strong Christian until you learn how to pray for yourself. Thank God for pastors and prayer partners and Sunday school teachers and ministry leaders. Thank God for mama and big mama that's praying for you. Thank God for family and friends and that person you can call on in the jam. But if you are going to be a strong Christian, you got to learn how to get to the place in your life where, where you are able to say, as they used to say, it's not my father, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You cannot be a strong Christian until you learn how to pray for yourself. But let me add on top of that as Paul moves the text forward, that you cannot be a strong Christian if you only pray for yourself. To be a prayer warrior is not only to cover everything in your life in prayer, but to make a commitment to praying for other people. Job 42 Verse 10 says, and God restored all of Job's losses after he prayed for his friends. I think there's a lesson in that verse that teaches us about the prayer of restoration. There are some things in my life that God will not restore until I get to the place where I can forget about myself long enough to pray for somebody else. The Lord restored Job's losses after he prayed for his friends. May I add, they weren't even good friends. <laughs> Job's trouble arose. They showed up. Some of you Bible readers know they, these friends showed up and didn't say anything. They just sat and stared at Job for seven straight days. They just stared at him. And then when they started talking, they didn't encourage him. They said, come on, Job, tell the truth. You had to do something bad for the Lord to suffer, make you suffer like that. And that's the whole book, Job arguing with these criticizing friends. But when Job prayed for these very friends that did him wrong, God restored his losses when he prayed for somebody else. Am I at least making sense today, church? Warfare prayer requires that you learn how to intercede on the behalf of others. We see that at the end of verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. At the end of verse 18, Paul says, pray for all the saints. The Bible teaches us that we should not just pray for ourselves, we should pray for other people. Like who? Romans 10 says you should pray for the lost, that they would be saved. 1 Timothy 2 says you should pray for governmental leaders, for those who are in authority over you in the government that you may live a quiet and peaceable life. Matthew 5, Jesus says you ought to pray for those that spitefully use you and mistreat you. But here in Ephesians 6, Paul says you also need to learn how to pray for the saints. In the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, verse 18 talks about love among the saints. The word here, saints, is not elite, holy Christians. Everyone who is in Christ is set apart for the purposes of God. Every Christian is a saint. And the Bible says that to be a Christian is not just to have faith in Jesus, but love for all the saints. And now he tells us one way to show your love for the saints is to pray for the saints. And not just the saints that you are cool with. You pray for all the saints. How do you pray for all the saints? Let me give a principle and a practice. Here's the principle. Just meditating on this, I, I want to suggest to you, church, that intercessory prayer must be intentional prayer. 
There are important things in life that you'll never do, that we'll never get to if we don't have an intentional plan and path to do that. And I want to suggest that a good principle for being more committed to praying for others is to have an intentional strategy for doing that. And by that, I simply mean you need a prayer list that includes more than just the issues in your life. You need a prayer list that includes other people that you are committed to praying for. Boy, it got quiet up in this house. How do you practice that? I think you ought to have a prayer list of others that you are praying for, and, and this ought to include three categories. Names, needs, and nations. You ought to have a list of people that you know other Christians that you are praying for by name. You are bringing their names before the Lord in prayer. That when you are praying, these names and these persons and these families are coming to your heart and mind because you have made a regular commitment to pray for them by name. And if you are part of a church, listen to me, and you don't have any connection with other Christians so that there's a list of names you know in the church you are part of to pray for, you're doing church wrong. You ought to be praying for names, and then not only names, you need to be praying for needs. In a church this size, you won't know all the names, but you can be praying for the other members of the saints by need. Pray for the, pick a day to pray for the sick. Pick a day to pray for married people in the church. Pick a day to pray for single people in the church. Pick a day to pray for those who are unemployed and underemployed. Y'all ain't in here with me. Pick a day to pray for the youth of our church. Pray for those that are grieving in the church. Pray by name, pray by need, and then pray for the nation. That's the great commission. Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of your neighborhood. Are y'all in here with me? He, he said, you need to make disciples of all the nations. Are y'all at least watching the news and seeing all that's going on around the world? The nations need the church to rise up in prayer. No political leader is going to fix the problems of the world. Only the gospel can do that. No economic level can fix the problems of the world. Only the gospel can do that. Not education can fix the problems of the world. Only the gospel can do that. And we've got to pray that the gospel will get out to the nations. My first trip to Memphis, I, I made a pilgrimage to years ago. Bellevue Baptist Church, where one of my preaching heroes, Adrian Rogers, was then the pastor. I saw many things that encouraged my faith that day, but one of them was a long hallway full of flags. I asked the guide what these flags represented, and the guide said that these flags represented nations where the church had members that were serving as missionaries spreading the gospels and the flags were there so that as members walked down the hall it would be a reminder to pray for those nations where the gospel was being preached so that souls around the world would be saved. Which forced me to ask an obvious question. Half of these flags are black flags. What does that represent? God said those black flags represent nations where it is officially illegal to preach the gospel. And to make sure we don't put those families in danger, we don't put those flags up, we just put a black flag there to remind us to pray for them that are in difficult places trying to get the good news of Jesus out. Are y'all in here with me? Pray for all the saints, but then notice the, the beginning of verse 19. Paul moves from the general to the specific, and he says, don't just pray for all the saints. I love this. 
Pray for me. This is the convicting thing about studying Paul for me. I'm a student of Pauline theology. This is a convicting thing about me. This was the gospel globe trotter. This was the apostle to the Gentiles. This is the man that wrote half of the New Testament. And yet he was not so puffed up in his own mind that he couldn't humble himself enough to say to other people, I need you to pray for me. If Paul was humble enough to admit that he needed prayer, who are you? Who, who am I? That some of us walk around with needs, struggling by ourselves, which is right where the devil wants you. He wants you in the corner by yourself because we're too proud. We don't want nobody to know we're going through nothing. So we don't, we don't ask for prayer because we, we don't want anybody to think we ain't got to act together. Church is the funniest place in the world because just by showing up, you telling on yourself that you ain't got your act together. But then we get here and want to play the front so that nobody will think that we ain't got our act together. Paul says, pray for me, which is a reminder to pray for your spiritual leaders. Your spiritual leaders, church, need your prayers. I think we see a hint here at the schemes of the devil. Too often, church, we are, we are quick to pray for those who are obviously weak, but slow to pray for those that are apparently strong. And then you watch strong people fall and you say, how in the world did that happen? Christian leaders, mature saints, families, marriages you thought were strong and you say, how in the world? I think that's how the devil works. He doesn't just attack in the place of weakness, he attacks in the place of strength. Abraham was the father of the faithful. He went down to Egypt and a man of faith became a man of fear and started lying and saying his wife was just his sister. Moses is called the meekest, most gentle man on the face of the earth, but he allowed his anger to get the best of him and he missed the promised land. Solomon is called the wisest man that ever lived, but you need to read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote that and he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. This is a wise man that wasted his life because he started chasing women when he should have been chasing God. The enemy has a way of attacking in the place of your strength. And this is why we need to be covering in prayer the spiritual leaders of the church. I need your prayers. The elders of this church need your prayers. The spiritual leaders of this church need your prayers. It's funny how we can come to church and critique what we don't like. Rather than praying for those whom God has placed the burden of leadership on. I was at a conference not too long ago. And I was meeting a lot of people. And they, Is there a way I can contact you? Is there a way I can connect with you? Is there a way I can reach out to you? And I felt like everybody I met, I was giving my number out to. Uh, asking this, that, and the other. And I bumped into a friend from Los Angeles who I had not seen in a good while. And I, I was so eager to see him. And in meeting up with Tyrone Skinner, he said, uh, HB, I, I don't have your new number. I need your number. I said, oh, Lord, not again. Somebody else uh, wants something from me. He, he, I gave him the number. But Tyrone Skinner has not asked me for anything. This ain't a part of my sermon. It became a part of my sermon on the way to Orange Park this morning because on the way to Orange Park, I got a text from Tyrone Skinner that I get every Sunday morning from Tyrone Skinner. It's a prayer for me as I get ready to preach and a prayer for you as you get ready to hear the word. Y'all ain't listening to me here. Two, two, two things about Tyrone Skinner. Y'all, first of all, y'all don't even know Tyrone Skinner. 
and he praying for you and praying for this service that you'll be built up in faith by the preaching of the word. Let me tell you something else about Tyrone Skinner. He got his own church. He got his own sermon. He got to preach this morning, but he taking time to pray for the leaders of this church that this congregation will be built up. Y'all not listening to what I'm saying. If people that don't even know this church are praying for the leaders, why can't we make a new commitment to cover all of our leaders in believing prayer. One more thing. Now get out your hair. Prayer warriors cover everything in prayer. Prayer warriors intercede for others. Quickly, finally. Prayer warriors focus on the advance of the gospel. Look at verse 19. I'm going to summarize these last two verses. Paul says, pray for me. But while you pray for me, let me make this note. Your praying for me is not really about me. Here's what I need you to do. Pray for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul writes this, as I mentioned, under house arrest. He is facing trial. He does not know what the outcome is going to be, but will you note that when he says pray for me, he does not say Pray for my comfort or my safety or my deliverance. He is saying pray that even if I stay locked up, pray that God will open a door for the gospel. You can't be an effective prayer warrior, church, until you learn that everything is not about you. There are bigger issues, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls it in verse 19, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel being that God put on flesh and became a blue-collar worker from an ancient ghetto called Nazareth. Died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead. And by the power of his blood and his resurrection, took the isolated Jews and Gentiles and made them one new body, a brand new people before the living God. That message, he says, is the message that the world needs. He says, and pray for me that while I'm in jail, I won't be preoccupied with me, but that I'll be thinking about the gospel going out even while I'm locked up. The gospel needs clear witnesses, he says, that I may have words so that boldly I may make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel not only needs clear witnesses, it needs bold witnesses. He says in verse 19 and 20, pray that I'll have boldness. The Greek word there means freedom of speech. It just means all saying. He's saying Pray that God help me be a bold witness that is not afraid of people and I won't let people shut my mouth about Jesus. The gospel needs clear witnesses. The gospel needs bold witnesses and the gospel needs faithful witnesses. He says in verse 20, I'm an ambassador in chains but I don't want my chains to make me forget my duty. So pray that I'll speak the word boldly, last phrase, verse 20, which is how I ought to speak. Some things as a Christian you should want to do. There's some things you need to do. And there's some things you ought to do. Paul says, pray for me that I'll do what I ought to do. In 1860, Steamship taking tourists on Lake Michigan from Chicago to Milwaukee crashed into another ship. 
The captain kept going in the darkness of the night because he couldn't see the extent of the damage. Until the ship began to rupture. People were not able to get to the, to the lifeboats in time and more than 300 people perished. But among the survivors were 17 people. These 17 saved people are remembered in that story because when the news broke, a young Northwestern student named Edward Spencer heard about it and rushed out to Lake Michigan. He was an expert swimmer. He had them to tie a rope around him, and he swam out to the wreckage and saved one of the persons, and they would drag him back in, and he would swim out against the current and against the debris and in the darkness and in the cold, and he did it 17 times, saving 17 people until he passed out. When he finally woke up, his brother Will was there with him. And his first words were these, Will, have I fulfilled my duty? Did I do my best? Friends, we live in a world of people that are sinking to their eternal destruction without the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called us to reach out to those that are lost with the saving message of the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. God has not left us here to live comfortable, safe, happy lives. He's called us to reach the lost. And every day when you lay your head down, you ought to ask what Spencer asked. Lord, did I do my best? Every time the Lord gives you an opportunity to serve in his name, your question ought to be, did I do my best? I kept y'all long enough. Can I show you one more thing? I'm, I'm a student of prayer. Just hang in there with me one more moment and I'm through. I'm a student of prayer. I wrote a book on prayer. Not because I'm an expert on prayer, but that's just the weight of the burden I feel to constantly be studying about prayer, practicing my prayer so that I can grow in my prayer life. And there are books on prayer that I've read. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I read them and I just feel even worse about how lousy my prayer life is. But as I was studying texts of scripture about prayer, I saw that's not the tone of, of what scripture says about prayer. There's a positive tone in the scriptures about prayer, where Christ woos us to pray. He beckons us to pray. That's why every major call to prayer has an accompanying promise that if you pray, God will work. Jeremiah 33 verse 3, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you have never seen. Matthew 7, verse 7, ask and it shall be what? Give and seek and you shall what? Knock and the door will be what? Open to you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ. This is why we love these texts, because they're not just a command to pray, there's a promise of an answer except in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. There's this repeated, emphatic, bold call to prayer. No statement about what God will do if you pray. He doesn't say if you pray, the battle will get easier. He doesn't say if you pray, the devil will leave you alone. He doesn't say if you, he just bids us to pray without reference to what happens on the other side. For two reasons. Number one, I think this text is telling us about warfare prayer. That the act of prayer is just as important as the answer to the prayer. I 
think you're missing the blessing waiting on something on the other side. Just communing with God is his own reward. And if in the midst of all you are going through, you can keep on praying, you already won. And I think also the text is trying to teach us that prayer is not a means. You just the soldier, not the captain. Prayer is not a means of ordering the captain around. When you pray, you got to learn how to leave the results in the hands of God. The old song says, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Unfortunately, we only do half that verse of that song. We take our burdens to the Lord, and then when we get through praying, we pick that burden up and carry it right back with us. You come to church and you lay your burden down and you, you in the service and the music is uplifting, the message is encouraging, the prayers are, are blessing and you, you feel, oh man, you ain't felt this, I'm going to get through it. And then you be driving home and look in the rear view mirror and the burden be in the back seat talking about where are we going for lunch after this service? I'm hungry. <laughs> We, 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 we give it to the Lord, but we, we, don't, we don't leave it there. But when you take your burden to the Lord, you just got to learn how to leave it there. You know what the rest of that course says, don't you? If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.